wife said when she went over to the office, um, you know, to, to get everything, she said there was a bunch of uh, elderly women in there. I don't know what elderly are because I live in a retirement community. So they're my neighbors. They're me. They're us, you know. And she said, all they do is complain. They'd look at the map and they'd like, you know, why am I there? Why am I there? You know, and, and you want to just go, hey, you're, thank God you're alive, that you can be there. I mean, you know, but it's just, we take so much for granted and we can complain so much about everything. It's so refreshing. I thank God. And I, and I was studying this out this month. Every day, I, I, during the course of the week, except when I was sick, I, would, I do a daily devotional and I send it out. And you can sign up for it if you have the electronic version of our app because you can click on it and it can be sent to you. And uh, I've just dedicated this whole month to writing about um, being thankful and just good for myself, you know, just to be reminded every day. But I went back and I, I started studying as to why Thanksgiving came about, you know, and you hear all these different things and stuff. And, and it was 1863, you know, when Abraham Lincoln uh, made a proclamation that the, the fourth Thursday of November uh, would be a day that would be set aside for Thanksgiving. And we think about, you know, the pilgrims and, you know, and, and the Indians and having a meal and sharing together. But what was really in, in Lincoln's heart was something that is res really resonates in my own because it reminds me of where we're at today as a people. It was during the Civil War. It was in the midst of the Civil War when he wrote that proclamation. And that Thanksgiving would truly be, and I, and I had to think about this because I want to tell you just as a confession, um, as we get into this this morning, this obviously segues right into the message there in Romans chapter one, is that um, Thanksgiving has become really an opportunity for, you know, people go, hey, it's just an opportunity for family to get together. And we make it, it's all about us, you know? Oh, I can't serve that, that Thursday because I'm doing this. I, it's me, 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 me. And that, that declaration, that proclamation that Lincoln was declaring was, that first and foremost, that Thanksgiving would be a day of national penance. And I, I had to stop and I had to think about that, you know, that it would be a day that we would repent. And what would we be repenting of? It's really the very thing that we've made Thanksgiving to be. It, a day of pure selfishness, a day of pure gluttony, a day of, you know, just pure me, 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 and the things that, that I desire, me, myself, and mine. You know, that's just my family. We're going we're gonna to hide away, you know, from the rest of the world. And, and Lincoln was making a proclamation that we would be a people that would break that cycle and that we would get our eyes off of ourselves and we'd get our eyes on other people and that we would look to, again, think about what was taking place in the midst of the civil war, that we would heal the hurts uh, that were being caused. Not by, I mean, you think about it, it's not by the rest of the world. The civil war was taking place in the United States amongst two Americans, people that called this place home. And, and I find ourselves today, we're, we're a divided country, we're a divided people. We're, we are very much, you know, a bitter people today, uh, an, an angered people, uh, an ungrateful people. And you know that because just think about, and again, you can only look at your own heart as I can look at mine, is how ungrateful you are during the course of your day. How easy it is for you just to complain about anything and everything. And as Paul gets into this, I love it because Paul, you know, and, you know, you think about, you know, as he writes this, this letter, he does like an attorney. I mean, he is just going to suck all of us in. So I want to just warn you on the front because, you know, he starts off as when we talk about, you know, from 
in Romans chapter 1. It starts in verse 18, and it'll go to chapter 3, verse 20. And he's talking about the wrath of God and how it's revealed. And, and first and foremost, it's revealed against, he says, all ungodliness. But he has a focal group. He has a focus group that he's looking at there. And who he's focused in on first maybe is a group you know, that you can't relate to today to a certain degree because he's, he's talking about the pagan, which would in one sense include all of us because a pagan was someone who was non-Jewish, okay? So he wasn't really speaking to the Jews here. He was speaking to all the Gentiles, the, the non-Jewish people. But it, it could include, you know, some that were, you know, Jew only by birth, but not by practice. And then he's going to move from, you know, speaking to the, you know, the Gentile, the pagan. He'll get into what we would consider the person who's moral, the moralist. They're not necessarily religious, but, you know, maybe they even believe kind of in the Ten Commandments. They don't honor God, but they... You know, but they go, they believe in ethics and morals and things like that. And he's going to nail them as well. And then he's going to get to the, the creme de la crop. That, that's really, you know, you and I in this sense. But who was there? It was to the Jew. It was to the spiritual. It was to the religious. Because sometimes, you know, it, it's easy for us to become judgmental of other people that don't live up to our standard, right? But what Paul is going to say, and that's easy for us to do, because if you've ever made a judgment about someone's life, and every single one of us has, then all of a sudden you start to go, as Paul will point out, and we won't get to that today, I just want to set the tone for you, to just to be careful. Because what he's going to do is he's, he's pulling us all in to the place that we'll see in chapter 3 that what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are guilty before God. And anytime that you, again, he'll say, and you can skip ahead there and read just in, in chapter two and verse one, is that we make judgments because we become judgmental of other people. But in the same sense that you feel justified in your judgments of other people, and we make them every day. Like if you saw someone, you know, regardless of the laws and someone took someone else's life, you know, we go, oh, that person deserves, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And we have no problem making judgments because we understand morals and we understand ethics. God has placed those things within our heart. And yet at the same time, when you make that judgment, you recognize that there's somebody who's more righteous than you who has the ability to make a judgment about your life as well. And this is what Paul's doing. He's, he's tearing this up to the ultimate end is what? It's God himself. God can make that judgment because God is what? He's perfect in all of his ways. Amen. And so as we look at this today, you know, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter one. Let's read verses uh, 18 through 32. And let's pray that the Lord would, would use this time as we study through this today and, and bring us to a place where he breaks us of our ingratitude. Uh, it's, it's, and I've shared this with you many times. Uh, ingratitude is, is to me, it's, 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 you know, it's there with, right there with pride. We think, you know, pride is the, is the worst sin. And you go, but, but if there's anything that, that gives place to pride or pride gives grace to you, however you want to look at it here, it's the sin of ingratitude. You know, we live and we talk about living in a, an entitlement society. You know, we, we think that we have so many rights, you know, like, you know, I have this, this, this should be my right. This is my privilege. I am, you know, da, 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 da. And then Paul just, he nails it. He puts it into perspective. If we all, if all of us, Every single one of us that's here today, if we got what we deserved, it would be hell for all eternity. That's what we've earned. The wages of sin is death. That's the right. That's the privilege that we, we should all enjoy is, this, is the sin you know, that 
has led us to a place where we would be separated from God for all eternity. That's what we deserve. And yet God who, and we celebrate in communion today, who is rich in his love and his grace and his mercy, he gave us his son. Righteousness is not something, you know, as I've shared with you, that's the theme of the book of Romans. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you can accomplish on your own. Uh, remember, I told you Martin Luther, you know, who was very devout, very religious in his faith, was struggling immensely because he was trying so hard to fulfill the law. He was trying so hard to keep the commandments of God, and he kept becoming frustrated that he was falling short. And he, and he understood it. You know, the scripture says, you know, be holy as I am holy, because without holiness, you won't see God. And he understood that, and he accepted it. But he thought, then, then what do I do? And he wanted to give up. And it was almost as if he tripped over it, but it's because God, and we'll see here today, God's a God of revelation. God has to make himself known, and he did. He did to Martin Luther, and as Martin Luther was reading the book of Romans, and he, and he saw there in verse 17, which really is the, the pinnacle of, of, of what Romans is about, that the just shall live by faith. That, that the righteousness of God is not something that we can earn. It's something that is imputed to us. It's something that God offers to us as a gift. And my hope as we open today that you've opened your heart to God, that you've found the forgiveness of your sin. Because if not, I can tell you, you will be ungrateful. You'll become bitter. If you look at your life today and you go, you know, are you, are you ungrateful? Are you bitter? And you go, you know, I always love what Pastor Chuck would say. He goes, you know, if there hasn't been a change, then guess what? Then there hasn't been a change. You know, I, I shared with you, you know, a couple of weeks ago and remind you again this morning as we get into this, the beauty, you know, of, of communion is the woman who comes and who's at Jesus' feet again, who breaks her alabaster and just begins to anoint him, not only with that, her perfume, but with her tears. And Jesus said, you know, of her, he said, you know, those that, that love much have been forgiven much. And that God would, again, as I shared with you, you know, last week, that he would break our hearts for what breaks his that we would be so grateful that he didn't send us to hell. So grateful that he's opened up our eyes and not to be pulled into this world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that he would open up our eyes to see all that he has for us and that he would bring about that change. Because I'll tell you, I, I know, you know, it's funny that Christmas falls after Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I don't like giving things to ungrateful people. You ever given something to somebody and they were just like, oh, thank, you know, and you just go, give it back, give it back. But somebody who's grateful, right? When somebody, you give somebody something they're thankful for, you go, man, I like giving stuff to them. And, and you could even say in a sense of a selfish reason, because you go, when I give it to them, I like how I feel watching them enjoy it. There, there's something about that, you know, in the community of that. And, and I think it's okay to a certain degree because I know that, you know, I was sharing at a men's conference yesterday and I was teaching from uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and I, I was made reference to uh, verse one where it says, you know, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and how people will look at that and go, oh, I wonder, you know, if people in heaven, you know, can see us. And I don't know if they can. I, I tend to believe that they can't in the truest sense because there's so much sin in the world. And if they could see everything that was going on, it wouldn't be heaven. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they'd be going, oh my gosh. But I do know this, and I can't explain it to you, but I can tell you what scripture says. But it says that every time that a sinner repents and opens their heart to God, what takes place? It says there's a party, there's a rejoicing in heaven. 
Maybe it's just a light that goes off. I don't know. Maybe, you know, it goes off in heaven every time a sinner gets saved. You know, like Clarence, you know, from It's a Wonderful Life. You know, there's little bells go off or something you know, like that. You go, I, I don't know. But I know that, that, that man, when there is a, a spirit of gratitude, there's a spirit of, of thanksgiving, and awesome things happen. And when there's not, all you have to do is look around the world today. And, and, and why is there? And that's really what Paul's going to address. Why is there a spirit of ingratitude? Why is there so much unthankfulness in the world? And he's going to talk about that. And so we'll read this together and then we'll pray and we'll, we'll read through this this morning. And he says in verse eight, he says, you know, again, and understand this, you know, it's about the good news, right? But you wouldn't appreciate good news until you knew what the bad news was, right? I mean, that's, that's the only way. There has to be a contrast. You wouldn't know what sweet is unless you tasted sour, you know, first. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts, they were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator." who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of what was against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. So obviously he's talking about homosexuality here. Okay. He says, they burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their heir, which was due and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They were whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud. I mean, you think you're watching the news, you know, as we read this. Backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that who practice, those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Wow, there's a lot there. Father, as we read this this morning, it looks like it's a page torn right out of time right here. It's the world in which we live and, and could be so. And so, Lord, it, it's fitting. It's important, uh, God, that we would study this, that we would know it, that we would understand it. And most of all, God, that we would repent of it, Lord, and be saved. We know that judgment hasn't just come, but judgment uh, is coming and judgment has already come for those that, Lord, reject you, have rejected you and continue to reject you. Lord, may we not be those people. God, may we receive the salvation, God, that you've provided in your son. It's a gift. It's a gift that we should 
be humbled by, a gift that God is something that, Lord, I know for myself it's easy. You know, if we've walked with you for X amount of years to this just becomes old news, not the good news. And so, Lord, we need revival. I need revival. God, I pray that as we study your word, as we open our hearts to all that you have for us, that it would be just as fresh today, Lord, as the day that you first delivered it. God, have your way in your church, through your people. Bring salvation, Lord, to those that need it today. Open up our eyes because, Lord, we know we can't see it on our own. That's what you tell us. It could be right in front of us and we'd miss it unless, God, you reveal it to us. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, God, pull off the scales and the things that blind us to your truth, our own prejudices, our own desires, the lust of our own eyes, the lust of our flesh, the pride of life, those things that God keep us from attaining all the things that you have for us. God, we, we become so short-sighted because God, we sell out to the temporal and we lose, we lose perspective of the eternal. And so God, we ask you today, help us to live with heaven in mind, to delay our gratification, Lord. God, we live in a world that has to have everything now. But Lord Jesus, you said, I go and I go to prepare a place for you that when it's finished one day, I'll come and I'll receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Lord, help us to live in light of heaven today. Shape us and mold us, break us, do whatever God you need to do, that we might fall in love with Jesus afresh today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, you know, the, the theme of this book is, is the righteousness of God, or like I said, you know, how we can get right with God, you know, a couple of weeks ago, just to kind of go back over some things since we've, we've missed a, a week or so in this. Um, the word law, you know, here in Romans appears some 78 times. Um, you know, again, when we're reminded, it's not really speaking about the law of Moses here. You know, what it's talking about is this, this principle that Paul would share, and he'd say, for the law of of, of the life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And, and again, um, he's speaking of this principle of, of faith and versus the, the principle of, of death here. And uh, again, it's, it's such a wonderful, wonderful book, you know, um, uh, and I can't remember myself uh, just in this past week studying this. I don't remember um, which Ivy League school it was. It was like Harvard or you know, Princeton or one of the schools that um, before a law student could uh, take their, their exam, they had to actually study the book of Romans. It was required. Think about how far we've come because it's just such a, a great treatise, you know, um, again, uh, laying out a case here. And Paul does such a, a wonderful job in doing so. The word righteousness, you know, it appears 66 times, the, the word faith, some 62 times here. So, Again, faith and righteousness are, are really the, the key to this book. But it's, it's not a righteousness, like I said, that you can achieve on your own. It's not like, you know, you, if you abide by these certain rules that all of a sudden you'll become righteous. It, it's imputed, meaning that, you know, it's declared to us because of what God has done for us in Christ. It's something that we receive by faith through God's grace. And it's not of works which any man can boast. And so, uh, again, starting off, you know, as we look at this, um, you know, again, we have to understand that we are, we are made 
right. That, that, that's what communion is all about. We're made right because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. And, and as I shared with you, you know, you read verses 16 and 17, you go back, you know, Paul's saying, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And what's the gospel? The gospel is the good news. The good news is what? Is that on the heels of this bad news that, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, there's a gift, you know, for the wages of sin is death, you know, Paul will write. He says, but the free gift of God is what? It's eternal life in Christ Jesus. And he says, for it is the power of God. And you think about that, the gospel, and that's why we need to make a fresh commitment, even to this day. You know, you look and you, you watch the news, you, you study, you know, and have conversations with people, and everybody wants to be a debater. You know, everybody wants to, you know, get into how do we have the most clever conversation? How do I, how do I put them in their place? And that was never the, the, the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel was to save sinners. You know, Jesus came to save sinners from sin from sin and death to save them from hell. You know, again, Paul will even write, he said, you know, you can suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness, meaning you can have the right answers, but you can have the wrong heart and you can have the wrong mind. Jesus said, you know, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples because you have love one for another. And that love doesn't mean that people go, oh, I just love people. You know, they go, no, there's a standard. And that we'd hold one another to that standard. And when we fail, you know, as I was sharing yesterday in, you know, in Hebrews 12, I always loved that chapter because I grew up, you know, you know, playing sports. And uh, so I've had coaches my whole life. Um, I had a father that was both an educator and, and was a coach. And, and, you know, and talks about, you know, that every son that God receives, you know, he first chastens. He disciplines us because he loves us. And that's not, it's not punitive. It's, he's not chasing us. We think of that as like, you know, God sits in heaven and he's just trying to punish us, you know. It, no, he's trying to train us because he wants something better. He wants something more. It says, and he, he treats us as what? As sons. He doesn't treat us like slaves. He's not, he's not just trying to get something out of us. What he's trying to do is draw us into relationship with God, that we might know God and that we might understand him. You know, Jesus prayed that in John 17, right? That the great earthly prayer is that, that we could be one as he and the Father were one, that we'd be one in him, that we might know him know him in an, in an intimate way. That, that's what God desires. And you go, but think about it. You go, and, and the standard then is Jesus. That's why, you know, the writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the, he's the idea. He's, he's the ideal. He's the model. He's the goal. He's the one that you should be looking at. But we look around, and we go, oh, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, but I'm better than them. And it just demonstrates how judgmental we are. But people aren't the standard. You're not going to get into heaven because you go, hey, guess what? I'm better than Pastor Mike. Because it doesn't take much to be better than me. Okay? You could get out of bed. You could be better than me. Okay? The model, the standard is Jesus. And some of you, man, I mean, I, at our staff right now, we're, we're reading a book called Accidental Pharisee. I've encouraged you know, to read it. And it's such a great book. Because there is a Pharisee that lives inside of all of us. And Paul just goes right after it. I mean, when he gets done, there's nobody standing. You know, it reminds me of when the woman who was caught in adultery, right? And, and men, you know, bring her. You know, but they don't bring the man, but they bring the woman. And he says, woman, you know, was caught in the very act. And they throw her down at Jesus' feet, you know. And Jesus, speaking to them, says, from the oldest to the youngest. It's interesting. It says he writes in the sand. doesn't tell us what he wrote it says, but one by one, they walked away because they were guilty. He said, you who knows no sin, let him cast the first stone, right? And what happens? Boom, they're all gone. One by one, they walk away. And then he looks at the woman. He says, woman, where are your accusers? 
Well, Jesus could have accused her, right? He was perfect. He says, but I accuse you not. And you go, why? And you go, was that just because Jesus just lets everybody go? And you go, no, because he was going to the cross. He was going to die for that sin. He was going to pay the price for her adultery. He bore that sin and he bore that shame on the cross so that she could go free. And so what Paul is doing here is he's making sure that, you know, we're just like that woman in that story. There, there's nobody, like I said, is going to be left standing when Paul gets done by chapter three, is that we recognize, and I hope that you see it. I hope that you see it today, that you don't have to wait that long, that we are all guilty before God, that we are sinners. And it's not like, you know, like people say, oh, you know, I used to be kind of a, not as good a person, but so I came to Jesus and that made me a better person. And you go, no, no, no we were rotten at the core. And it's a slap in God's face anytime that you try to claim some moral superiority over anybody else. Because how many sins does it take to get somebody into hell? Do you have to break 10? Do you have to break 100? Do you have to break 1,000? No, one. One sin. The smallest, minutest sin. Whether it was a sin of commission or whether it was a sin of omission. Something that you committed to do or something you just failed to do. We've all earned the right to die. No wonder the gospel's good news because Jesus came to save sinners. He says, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for the Gentile, he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And so I told you, you know, the book of Romans, real simply, you break it into four simple parts. It talks about the wrath of God. It talks about the, the grace of God. It talks about the plan of God and it'll finish with the will of God. It's a great great book to study. It should be something that should be part of our normal, you know, people go, you know, gosh, I should be reading the Bible all the time. It, you know, how long, how long does it take you to read the book of Romans? You know, people have asked me starting two weeks ago. So I said, okay, I don't read real fast, so I'll just read it. It doesn't even take three hours. You know, someone said it takes about three hours to read the book of Romans. No, it doesn't. You'd have to read it like the, you know, it doesn't even take three hours. I mean, I'm pretty sure we could all carve out, you know, three hours, you know, in the course of a week over time to read this book. And I, I want to encourage you to do that, to let, let it sink in. Because if not just for you, for the world around you, because like I said, I, I feel like if you're, you're reading this, you're going, man, this is speaking of our world today. This is speaking of right now. And, and there's a message in there that, you know, you and I, we, we know the truth and the truth should be setting us free. And with that freedom that we, you don't use our freedom for what? For liberty, just to go do what we want to do, but that we, we have a responsibility where much is what? What does scripture say? Where much is what? Given, much is what? What is it? Required. Yeah. Say that with me. Where much is given, much is required. And you know what? For us, like I said, if you, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if Larry shared this with you, you know, Mona's mom, you know, went to the hospital Saturday and, and um, they're not sure, you know, what's going on right now, but uh, they believe that she has stage four cancer uh, in her, in her stomach and it's maybe spread to her lungs. They're waiting to see another doctor and get a second opinion. Um, Larry shared that, you know, she's, she's in good spirits because she loves Jesus and, but everybody else isn't because they love her. And when you love somebody, you know, you you don't, you don't want them to hurt. And, and, you know, 
these are the, the things that, you know, like I said, when people go through tough stuff and you look and you go, it's hard, hard, hard stuff. But I, I, I don't want to digress into that, but I just understand this. We have a responsibility. There's people dying all around us. And if you had the cure, like I said, for cancer, think about this. And you had the cure for cancer and you weren't going to every hospital. This is one of the things I have against you know, so-called faith healers that claim to have the gift of healing. I go, well, you have the gift of healing, then you know what? Then get into every hospital in this country and start walking around through emergency wards and start laying your hands on people and setting people free from the sin, from the sickness, the things that, you know, are, you know, got a hold of their life. And you go, it's so, it's so sad because if you had that gift and you had the cure for cancer to not share that with people would what? I think it would be criminal. Would you? Yeah, well, what does the Bible say? It says, for a man or a woman who knows to do good and who doesn't do it to that person, it's what? It's sin. Yeah, it's flat out sin. Well, guess what? You have the cure for, for sin and death. And you know what so many of us say? We, well, I'm just not very comfortable talking to people. Shame on you. Oh, it's not my gift. Well, you sure don't have a problem talking about the things that you like talking about even when we don't want to hear it. And you go, but people need to hear the gospel. Oh, it's not my gift. You know, God just hasn't called, he hasn't called me to do that. Yes, he has. Well, maybe he hasn't. He's only called his children. He's only called his disciples. Those that belong to him. He said, go into all the world, make what? Disciples of all the nations, wherever you go, whatever you do. It's not a destination. It's a journey. I mean, Paul's planting churches all along the way. You know, what's really interesting about this when you study the book of Romans. He didn't plant a church in Rome. Think about that. This, one of the greatest writings, you know, of the New Testament is the book of Romans. He didn't plant that church there. That church was planted in Acts chapter two. It says when those that came from Rome were there on the day of Pentecost, they returned, they planted the church that was in Rome. But Paul's writing you know, a letter to him. So what is Paul doing? Wherever he goes and whatever, wherever we go, if you really believe and I guess this is the thing today. If we're really a grateful people, that's what I want to challenge. I want you to think about it all month long. If you really would say, because I would question it. I would question it if you're really thankful, if, if sharing the gospel with people on a regular basis, if that's not part of your life, I would challenge that you are a thankful person. I would challenge that you are a grateful person for everything that Paul's saying here. Because where much has been given, much is required. And those who love little have been forgiven little. And those who love much have been forgiven much. You know, this last week, the school board, Kern High School District, you know, had a meeting whether they were going to have a transgender, you know, uh, male in the girls' bathroom and uh, locker room at, at uh, Centennial High School. So a bunch of pastors were going to show up there because they're going, you know, listen, if we don't start standing up for this stuff, guess what? They're just going to start pushing stuff through. And if nobody really says anything, what does that mean? They take that as nobody really cares. We had an election last week in Virginia that, you know, guess what? A lot of, God, of parents got ticked off. Someone said, hey, I don't think it's the right, you know, of parents to tell educators what to do. And what did parents do? <laughs> and next thing you know, people are going, I don't understand what happened. You go, yeah, people stood up. You know, they stand up for what they care for. Do we care? I mean, that, that's what you have to ask yourself today. I mean, did Jesus die in vain in your life? 
What did he do? Did he just die so that you could sit around your table at Thanksgiving Day and have your family and your friends there, you know, and block out the rest of the world? Is that, is that what Jesus, is that what Thanksgiving's all about? Is that, that what Jesus died for? You go, no, he died for sinners. And he saved us that what? That we might become like him. That we might develop a heart like God. So you ask yourself today, just like I'm asking myself, am I like God today? Am I thankful? And everything give thanks. And everything, not for everything, but in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God. And that's the challenge you know, that he, he makes here. Because he says in verse 18, look at this. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness is sin against God. And unrighteousness is, is man sinning against man. Ungodliness is us sinning against God. Unrighteousness is us sinning against man. Guess what? We're all guilty. Okay, right there in verse, verse 18. He says, of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I love this. You know, in Moses, I mean, I think, you know, when he came down off Mount Sinai, he has two tablets. One of them pretty much focuses on what? Ungodliness, our sins against God. Second, you know, tablet focuses on what? Unrighteousness, our sins against mankind. God's so consistent in his word from cover to cover. It says, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So how do we suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness? Because we disregard the truth of God. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I, people in our own church, you talk to them, uh, I, don't, I don't believe that. The Bible says that you go, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe that's what, I, I think it applies to you, Pastor Mike, but I don't necessarily think it applies to me, you know, type, type of thing. You know, we read the Bible and what do we do? We just take out pages, right? I don't really, that, I don't like that. You know, I don't, I don't really like that. You know, and then go, well, and I just thank God for his grace. You know, well, wait a second. Do you get to pick the parts of the word of God that you like? Oh, I like heaven. You know, so, and people do this, right? They don't, they don't like hell. So what do they do? Just take it right out of the Bible. God, no, it's not there. It's not in my Bible. I don't like it. And here, again, that's called suppressing the truth. It's there, but what do we do? We turn a blind eye to it, right? Or we go, ah, oh, you know, everybody does it. So, you know, therefore I do it. And then, you know, I don't feel so bad because, of my judgmental self, because I'm not as bad as some people, you know, and there's a bunch of other people who are just like me. So we're collective in this. And you go, and Jesus warned us about that. He said, the way is broad and wide, which leads to destruction. Guess what? There'll be many. He said, but the way of life is narrow. And he said, what? Difficult is the way. Yeah. And few there be that find it. Verse 19 goes on. It says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. Okay. Not to them. It's important. Every single person, God has manifest himself in them. He's given every single person a conscience. You know, you know, and it's amazing. You know, even people that suffer from retardation, right? Isn't it amazing how cognizant they are of God? In many cases, you go, wow. You don't have to be a brain surgeon to understand there is a God. He's revealed himself within mankind. It says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God himself. So again, you can call God a liar, but it says, it didn't say, you know, that I manifest him to you or that you manifest him to each other. He says, for God has shown it to them, okay? Again, we call this general revelation here. God has revealed himself generally, right, to the world. I mean, you look around, you look at the universe, you look at the earth, you look at the biosphere, you look at the atmosphere, you look at the cosmos. I mean, 
And what do you see? You see the handiwork of God. Have you ever looked up into the stars? I mean, and just went, man. I mean, to think how stupid, and it is, and I'm going to read this to you. It's, it's an okay to say stupid matter of fact that moron is actually the biblical word. You have to be a moron, is what he's saying, to be an atheist. You know, April Fool's Day, right? That, that's, that's a biblical day. It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So every, everybody gets a holiday. April Fool's Day is the atheist holiday, right? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But that doesn't change the fact that there is, that you can look up into the heavens. Abraham Lincoln, again, I love it. My brother gave me a plaque years ago. It said something to the effect that said, I can, I can uh, understand how a man could look down upon the earth and be an atheist. He said, but I cannot conceive how a man could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. It's so true. And you go, why? Psalm 19, one through four says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork day unto day, utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard for their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. God's made it known. You look up and you go, oh, I mean, to think, you know, that, I mean, from an evolution standpoint, right? To think, I mean, break it down in this most simple, not using all the big words and everything that I don't understand concepts, but you go, but to take evolution, break it down into a nutshell that you go, there was nothing. Then nothing exploded and became everything. And I go, wow, that was deep. How did you arrive at that? I, I think it takes more faith to believe that than it does that a loving God created the heavens and the earth, you know, and hung the stars in the sky. Yeah. Heck, even Napoleon. It said that Napoleon one evening was walking with his generals and they were discussing whether or not there was a God. And Napoleon said to the group that was there, he pointed up into the heavens. He said, sirs, if you're going to get rid of God, you must get rid of those pointing to the stars. Yeah, I, I believe that. And again, there's not anybody on this planet that has an excuse. It doesn't matter where you live. You know, I remember being in Africa years ago and talking on the phone, you know, to my wife at home and, and asking her, you go, hey, is there, um, is, what's the moon like? It was dark there and it was dark in Africa. Same moon. It was just amazing. I, I thought about that. You go, seeing the, you know, wow, it's like, is it full there? Is it half here? Is it different? You know, same moon. Same time, different continent. doesn't matter where you're at in the world. Verse 20 goes on. It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay? So it tells us there, you know, in verse 20 there, without excuse, because it says, although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. They weren't thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. What's that telling us? At some point, at some point, there is a deliberate refusal to acknowledge the revelation of God. God makes himself known. That's why it's a real dangerous thing, isn't it? Because, you know, people go, oh, I'll just turn to God whenever I feel like it. And you go, oh, no, no, no. Remember what happened to Pharaoh? Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. 
And when he hardened his heart towards God, what what does Exodus tell us? It says, then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What does that mean? It just means he solidified it. He solidified it. It means if you turn your back on God, God doesn't necessarily stop you because he's given us free will. Because that's what love does. Love allows you and I to choose. And if you choose like Burger King to have it your way, Jesus answered that question in the Gospels, right? He said, depart from me, you workers of inequity, for what? I never knew you. You can have it your way. Your will be done. Your will, if you reject God, your will will be done. There will be no God in your life. And you will spend eternity in hell apart from God. Be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. And yet, here he is making this perfectly clear that God has made himself known, that he has revealed himself to us. Revelation 3, 20 tells us again, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. How many opportunities you have? I don't know. All I can tell you is don't pass it up. Don't miss the opportunity because it won't be there forever. I always love that, you know, about, you know, we say opportunity knocks, but temptation leans on the doorbell, right? I mean, man, that's so true. The opportunities can come and go, but man, temptation is there all the time. The enemy loves to do whatever he can do to draw us away. And so ultimately, you know, what do they do? Well, in the Old Testament, even in the New, they made graven images, right? They made little or large, you know? I mean, think about this, you know, coming in and, I mean, you know, in Kings and you think about, you know, here's Dagon, you make a God, right? And you, and you find you come in and Dagon is what? He's laying down on the ground. Be careful to worship any kind of God that you have to prop up every day. I mean, I, I mean, that's just like common sense, right? If you come in every day and your God's fallen over, I'd get a new God, you know? I mean, seriously, you want to you think about, you want to think about that. But yet people can be so dumb to make something, you know, and we think about it because what, what's happened in our culture ultimately, and this is really where he's alluding to, because once you, again, you disregard God in your life and you become unthankful, you start to worship, says the creation rather than the creator. You know, what, what do we tell We go, oh man, she's a goddess, right? You go, it's no different than the old New Testament. He's a God. And people do. They make people their God. They, they see man as their God. People created in the image of God. Well, Scripture says that's idolatry. Okay? And they turn that into something of worship. And so what are they doing? You're turning away from the revelation of God, and you're reducing God down to a human level. You're bringing God down to your level instead of, again, acknowledging that God is high and lifted up. And it says there's something that happens when you do that. When you don't receive God and accept God on his terms, he says, your heart is darkened. Now, I have to have this conversation every week, and I've had it a lot during COVID. People look at the news and they read the things that are happening in the world. They go, what is going on? Are these people stupid? I mean, do they have no common sense, right? And they're thinking about stuff, and I go, no, just understand, common sense is not a gift. It's a curse. It is, because if you have it, you, you see that there's so many people that don't have it, you know? And so, I mean, you look around and you go, why has it happened? I mean, especially during COVID, right? I mean, we were talking about this the other day. You go, it was like somebody hit the gas pedal. I mean, on stupid, you know, I mean, during COVID. I mean, it just went from bad to worse, but it, it did it like so fast. And you go, why? And you go, well, because it's prophetic. 
It's what happens when a people no longer acknowledge God for who he is. Okay, we have to be perfectly clear on this. Okay, when you begin to reduce God down to your terms, this is what you get, is what you're seeing in the world today. You're seeing that people's hearts are darkened. I mean, and and I always love talking to Mike Cosper about this stuff because he always uses the word foolishness. He goes, oh, they're just being foolish. It's just foolish. It's just pure foolishness. And that's what it is. You just look around the world. And you go, There's no other word to explain. You go, it's just foolishness. But, but it shouldn't even be something that we laugh at. We should feel sorry for them. It's because what is the end result of their belief system? It's eternity in hell separated from God. And, and what was Moses' heart for the Jews? I mean, you talk about being obstinate, being a, as even God said, they're a stiff-necked people, right? But he loved them. Moses said, you know, if you're going to blot them out of your book, then blot me out too. Moses, or, uh, Paul said, you know what? I would become an anathema. I'd become a curse. I would, basically what he was saying is, I'll give up my salvation, God, if you will save Israel. That's called love. And what do we do? You know, you know that old proverbial statement, you know, I just give them enough rope until what? They hang themselves. That, that's kind of our, our model, you know, today. We just give people enough rope. Let them hang themselves. We go, that's, that's their choice. You know, what did Jesus say? What was his message? Over my dead body. Over my dead body. Paul said, over my dead body too. As did all the apostles except for John. And what would we say? It's like, <sighs> discomfort. Verse 21 goes on, it says, because although they, they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Again, think about that. They were darkened. They knew God. We know God. But do we glorify him as God? Are we thanking God for whatever he sends our way? Or do we get mad at God? Do we get bitter towards God? Because we don't like God's ways. As opposed to understanding that, you know, see, here's the difference. See, God sees everything from an eternal perspective. We see everything from a very, very small earthly perspective. Everything God does, he does with eternity in mind. And yet we question God. We need to be like Job. You know, remember when Job, when he had a whole bunch of questions for God, right? Oh, I'm going to ask God this. I'm going to ask God this. God's, hey, before you ask me, let me ask you some questions too. I always love, you know, when he mentions the bison. Of all the things that he could have mentioned, God says, what about the bison? You imagine Job stopping and going, and then God just keeps going. And he's going, hold on, God, I'm still stuck on the bison question there. I mean, I'm trying to figure out, you know, and what what did he end up doing? He put his hand over his mouth. He says, I just need to shut up. God is great in all of his ways. And we question when we claim to understand everything he's doing, when we really, in reality, we, have, <laughs> we understand almost nothing. But what we do know that he's revealed to us, he did in his son, that he loved us. See, we know the existence of God because of creation, but we know the love of God because of Jesus, amen? The world can look up into the stars all they want, and they'll just know that there is a God but they'll never know his love until they see it in you and me, that we would care enough to tell them the truth. That there's only two genders on this planet. You know, we'll get into all this, you know, in the weeks ahead. There's only two, there's male and female. You either, you know, yes, we we understand there's deformities because of sin. You know, we either have two X chromosomes or an XY. And yes, there are some people, they say one in every 5,000 births, somebody has an XX and X, you know, and a Y chromosome. 
That's not the norm, okay? That's not the reality. But, set, you know, look at our world today and we go, what, what happened? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. When they no longer regarded God, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And you are seen as educated as it might be and as many big words as someone might use. What you are seeing is a reprobate mind being lived out before you. And you're seeing the fruit of that, which is ingratitude and ungratefulness. <clears throat> you know, as it goes on, it says professing in verse 22, it says professing to be wise, they became fools. That word fools there in the Greek language means moron. And it says they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, the birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So you could read that, that passage like this, professing themselves to be wise, they became morons and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed uh, beasts and creeping things. You think about what is he telling us there? You know, to bring things down to an ungodly level. You know, everybody worships. That's the point. Everybody worships something. Either you worship God, you worship yourself, you worship something else. And look at what happens here. And this is what, what's happened in our society. It says in verse 23 there, the worship of man is really the degradation of society. It's a downward spiral. When you no longer worship God, Look, look what he's saying happens. You start to worship man, but it doesn't even end there. You will start and we go back and we can see this in human history, right? Go back to the Exodus, go back to, to Egypt. You know, you become like what you worship. Egypt was the most filthy place on this planet. You worship what? Bugs and insects, frogs, you know, whatever flies. You go, and here's Paul going, look what's happened. You no longer worship God. They worship the creature rather than the creator. You know, that we can see things. And he, God says, you know, that, I mean, these things are completely, you know, no longer, you know, profitable for us. They're, they're lust driven. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Lust is driving the decision process. I think we all agree in the world today. Sexual immorality. That was the, the great sin, what he's talking about here, because that was the great sin of the Gentile. They, they worship, you know, they, you know, we think about what took place in the New Testament, you know, with the worship of Aphrodite, right? The, the temple prostitutes would come down, you know, at night, thousands of them, literally, and, and prostitute themselves. And that was actually an act, what they believed, an act of worship, entering into prostitution. So people go, well, why, why is Paul bringing it out in Rome? Well, that's who he's talking about first. He's starting with the Gentile, the, the non-believer, okay? And, and that's what they worship. Well, what does the world around us worship? They worship sex. You see it everywhere. Sex sells. It's what drives the internet today. It's the most profitable aspect of advertising in the, on the internet today is pornography. You think about it. And yet it's so clear. As you look at this, it drives all of the world's relationships. And you think about, you know, homosexuality, you know, and he says, you know, homosexuality, bottom line is it's a sin against nature. People go, why, why, why do you pick on homosexuality? I go, 
I'm not. You go, God is not picking on it. He's pointing something out. It's an unnatural relationship. Think about this just logically for a second, okay? I mean, if, if you're capable of doing that, I can't say that we're all capable of doing that. But I mean, if you're born again and you have the spirit of God within you, you know that God created us what? What does scripture say? Two genders, right? We can't be afraid of this. Male and female, he created them, right? And he told them to do what? To be fruitful and multiply, okay? I think we understand that. So he says that a homosexual relationship, whether that's between a man and a man or a woman and a woman, is what? It's an unnatural relationship. Think about it sexually. I mean, I hate to create that imagery in your mind in a sense, but you go think about that for a second. Is there anything natural about that? And you go, no. And it's the expression of sexuality. See, see, he doesn't say that loving another person is wrong. It's when it's expressed sexually, to love someone sexually of the same sex. He says, it's not natural. And, and again, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure that out. In the most common understanding, we go, God has created men with, with plumbing that is exterior, and he's created women with plumbing. I don't want to get into, you know, but you go with, it's just interior, you know, and you go by God's design. He created them. God did. And you can reject that. And guess what? You have the right to do that. But with that right comes a consequence. And what God says will happen is he will give you over to a reprobate mind. And the first demarcation that we're all going to see is what we see here in Romans chapter 1 is then you will become unthankful to God. And when you become unthankful and you're ungrateful, then man, I mean, all bets are off. All things can happen. Because you think about this, you know, when he talks about homosexuality here, and I want to be clear before we close, homosexuality is not a word, okay? See, they, society tries to say, oh, it's just a word. No, it's an act. It's an act. It's a sexual act of a man having sex with another man or a woman having sex with another woman, okay? That, that's why we can't we go, because well, it's portrayed as what? Oh, it's loving. They're not portraying the act. I guarantee you, if you demonstrated or showed the act to 99% of the population, they'd go, that's disgusting. That is unnatural. That's not right. But see, what happens is when you no longer regard God as God and that God has a plan and God has a purpose and he created us male and female, then all of a sudden you go, well, then what do you do? God gives you over to a reprobate mind. And we start making moronic decisions and choices in our life. And you go, and that's what's happening. Now, should we celebrate it? And you go, no, we should feel sorry for it. And it should move us to what? Because you think about this. I mean, I want to close with this. Well, I don't want to close with what I'm about to say. That would be a terrible thing to close with. The average male in the United States lives to the age of 76. That's just, you know, don't get scared if you're right there. I mean, that's just average. I mean, some people go to 100 and something, okay? Some don't. But in the homosexual community, you know, you know what the average lifespan for a homosexual is? 38 years of age. 38 years. And that's not age-related. If it was age-related, it's actually it's a less than that. But 38 years, and you go, why? That, so that's barring any, you know, you're not dying of, of complications from disease. 38 years, you go, why? Because it's not a fruit-bearing relationship. It's not what God intended. 
the world can tell you it's right and that, and that you have a right and you have a privilege. You, you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, 10 of the first you know, Roman Empire uh, emperors were homosexual. Where's the Roman Empire today? It's gone. And you go, why? Because God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that too he shall reap. But he doesn't, you know, leave it there. And we won't, you know, I just want to finish with this. He says, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their, their hearts to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves to exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship, serve the creature rather than the creator who's blessed. Amen. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Even their women exchanged the natural use, which is against nature. So I think you understand that. It says, likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burning their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. You know, Paul would write to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And but what did he say? Because I want to leave you with hope as we receive communion. He said, and such were some of you. Don't ever believe a lie that people say, well, I was born that way and there's nothing I can do about it. No, you, you might have been born that way because we were born in a fallen world. We're born into sin. But guess what? The good news of the gospel is you can be born again. Your sins can be forgiven. Your past can be buried. As Paul would write to the church at Corinth, you can become a new creation in Christ where old things have passed away and all things have become new. That's the good news of the gospel, amen? Instead of just going, well, that's just the way it is and that's the way you are. You go, no, it can be better than that. Paul would write, and such were some of you. We could go around and share, and some of us, that was our background. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive together in Christ Jesus. Amen? So he closes with this. He says, and even as they did not like to retain God, in verse 28, in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are worshipers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. You know, and then he says, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do such things, but also approve of those who practice them. So here's the thing. So you might be sitting here today and you go, I, I don't do any of those things. I, those are disgusting. I've never done them. And you go, but do you have anybody in your life who's practicing them? And you go, I don't say anything to them because, you know, they're family and it's not my place. And you go, well, Paul just, he just nailed you to the cross too. Because if you don't do something about it, he goes, basically your silence is approval. Because what you're saying is, you know what? Um, hey, I, you know, because I just try to love them. And that's, 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 you know, no, he said, Basically, it's like, you know, uh, we didn't sit in the Roman Colosseum, is what Paul is saying, watching, you know, as people, Christians, were thrown to the, to the lions, and they were devoured, and they were killed, they were drugged behind, you know, chariots, you know, for sport, and applauded it. No, we, we have Netflix, you know, we've got movies, we watch them on TV, we watch them in movies, and, 
and we see people being killed. We see people being gored or just, you know, think about you, maybe you don't do that and you go, but we, you know, here in this country, we think about the issue of abortion. Is it natural for a baby to be sucked out of the womb? You go, no. But how many of us just sit, sit aside with millions and millions of babies that are being killed in this country? And as Christians, we know, and the Bible says, you know, that we're called to speak for those that, that cannot speak for themselves and we do nothing about it. We go, well, it's the law. Hmm. Things to take to heart today. Guilty. Guilty before God. I don't know about you, but, you know, hey, I'm, I'm having to listen to myself preach. God, I need a Savior. Thank God you sent Jesus. Save us. Save us, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, should be our prayer. Amen. Let's pray. The worship team will come out and we'll invite you to receive communion here today. I think it's a good day to we can sit there and you take that bread and you go, God, thank you. Your, your body was broken for me. Thank you that you shed your blood because I know that my sins can be forgiven. I know that they are, that they're past tense. They're not even present or future tense. They're behind me because of the cross today. And then you can rejoice in that, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But don't just sit there, you know, and take it and receive it, but go, God, let heaven not just be my destination, but let it be my motivation. Amen. Let heaven be your motivation for as you go from this place today. You're going to come in contact with a lot of people who need Jesus. You have the answer. Doesn't matter what the question is. Jesus is the answer. Amen. And we have it. Father, thank you for your word. Just use this time of communion, Lord, before we go from this place, just to thank you today. God, thank you that you died for me. I know if I was the only person who ever walked on this planet, you would have had to go to the cross. God, I'm a sinner. I don't say that rejoicing. I say that with sorrow, Lord. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving us. God, let your life, let your death, let your burial, let your resurrection be a motivation for us to live a holy life that's pleasing to you. And maybe that's the problem, God, because we're not living the holy lives that are pleasing to you. We don't want to say anything to anybody else because we're afraid that, God, we'd be outed. So God, wash us and cleanse us today. Set us apart for every good work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.